0: Well, thank you, Patrick, so much, and thank you all for your welcome. It's really wonderful to be with you and uh, a real joy to be invited. So thank you very much. I've given this uh, topic of forgiveness, and in fact, um, I'm going to do something slightly different tonight. Rather than actually reading one portion of Scripture, um, I would love you to have your Bibles at hand, because we're going to look at quite a few Scriptures, um, and I've tried to note down the page numbers to help us, but we'll come to that in a few moments. Um, I did an amazing course a few months ago, and i 'd recommend it actually to any of you um, it 's quite expensive; it costs about one hundred pounds and it might be that one or two of you have done it here yourselves i don 't know Has anybody done a speed awareness course here? <laughs> few people oh wow, You're only five people six people that 's amazing anyhow, do you know it 's an amazing course I mean those who 've been on one you 'll know I mean it really is great. And um, I went to one uh, at quite a smart hotel in Sunbury. And uh, you went to that one, yeah. We weren't on the same course. I don't think we were, but anyhow. And um, anyhow, I went, and uh, there was a very smiley lady at the door. She greeted me as I came in, and I was quite, I was two minutes, I thought I was two minutes early, but I was the last person to arrive. And uh, it, the room was absolutely full of people in utter silence. And uh, anyhow, as uh, the course was introduced, there was a lady and and a gentleman. They both had lovely smiles, actually. I was struck by them. The lady said, do you know, this, this is an amazing thing. She said, Britain is the only country in the world that gives you a second chance when it comes to breaking the speed limit. So all of you have been caught breaking the speed limit. And you've been given the opportunity to either face a penalty of three points or to come to this course. And to not be punished at all. And isn't that amazing? She said, who thinks it's amazing that this government gives you a second chance? No one said a word. She said, look, she said, the one thing about this course that I I need from you, you know, you do need to participate. You know, I I need some feedback here. So I said, I think it's amazing. She said, why? I said, because it's forgiveness. She said, exactly. Isn't that brilliant? So anyhow, I thought, I wonder whether she knows the Lord Jesus. Uh, Anyhow, it it came around... um, Sort of part way around there was a sort of coffee break, and and her colleague, this gentleman, came around and he was looking at all our driving licences. He had to take some details. Anyhow, he noticed on mine for some reason it says Reverend on it. So he said, "Oh," he said, "you're a vicar." So I thought, "Oh no, this is so embarrassing," you know. (laughs) Anyhow, he said, "I'm a Baptist." So anyhow, I thought, I said, "You know, I wondered about that." And he said, "Also, Julie over there, she's a Pentecostal." I thought, I I could have guessed that actually. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, brilliant. Speed awareness course. Isn't it wonderful that somehow, I I don't know when they came in, but somebody in the Department of Transport really believes in grace, don't they? They really believe in forgiveness. But... You only have a second chance, you don't have more than that, because then I have to confess that I got another three points, which I was really annoyed about, because I thought I was in a 50, and I wasn't, I was in a 40, and it was very close to here, uh, on a dual carriageway. But there we are, that's another story, I'm not going to go there. Um, But I'm I'm talking today uh, about um, forgiveness. And as I was preparing this um, sermon a few weeks ago, in the Sunday Times, on page three, there was an article that uh, really related to me personally. And uh, some of you might have seen it. Uh, it was a well known uh, newsreader called Kathy Newman. She is uh, the anchor woman for Channel 4 News. I don't know if you watch Channel 4 News, but she's on it most nights at 7 o'clock. And um, she was talking about the horrendous abuse she received at school. And she was the year above me at school. I was at a school quite close to here, some of you know, called Charterhouse Boarding School, and she was talking about how awful it was for girls who were only in the sick form in those days, still are actually at that school, and they were very few in number relative to the rest of the school. There were probably 700. Um, people in the school and, and only 80 girls, so they were very, very much a small minority, and some of them received terrible treatment. And she was talking very graphically and really shockingly about the way that she was treated. Um, and then, in fact, a week later, uh, I think it was on page three of the newspaper again, there were some other girls who were also at the school, uh, talking about their horrible experiences as well. Uh, and it was kind of uh, started um, to open up, uh, I think what the press was saying, a kind of me-too moment for for schools. And um, And I suppose I felt, actually, it's not just a gender issue, this. Because I was at the school, and I was treated very, very badly by some people. And I know some boys at that school who were treated so badly they had breakdowns. I know two people who left the school probably 15, 16-year-olds, and they had to go and have uh, special um, mental health support because of their experiences. And I know some who never recovered from their time. And it's not just that school that's a bad place. In fact, that school was probably typical of boarding schools across the country back then, and the, um, this would have been the early to mid-1990s. Um, and I don't think boarding schools are necessarily any worse than day schools. It's just that you're there for about three times the length. So, you know, you're going to have three times the problem, aren't you? Um, But it kind of brought that experience, very bitter experience for me, back to mind. And when I left the school at the age of 18, for me that was such an exciting moment and I got a job. I just worked actually for my gap year. I didn't really want to be in education because I hadn't enjoyed it. And I got a very interesting job and I really enjoyed it. And then I went to university and it was during my time at university I felt called to ministry in the church, which... Um, had come quite suddenly as a surprise to me. And it was during my selection process, or my selection conference. You have these three-day selection conferences, which are strange uh, occasions, really. And it was during that that one of the panel selecting said to me, have you forgiven the people who bullied you at school? And I had never directly confronted that question before. Have you forgiven? And I had to, I think, confess that I, I hadn't, really, but he really encouraged me to, to, to address that issue. And um, and I, th- I think I, I have. It, it's sometimes difficult, isn't it, when something really painful happens to you, to know whether you've actually forgiven them. I think I have. And I think that process of being selected for ordination and that question being asked at that particular moment helped me realize this is an issue here that I need to acknowledge. This is a question I need to answer, really. Have I forgiven the people who I feel bitter towards and who hurt me? And then, um, as many of you will know, totally out of the blue again, I felt called to go back into school ministry, and uh, I found myself going back to the school that I hated. So I went back to be chaplain at Charterhouse. And I think, for me that was a process of healing, actually, because I didn't want to go there. I was really scared of the place, and I was quite scared of teaching teenagers when I, I'd never taught in myself before. And speaking to 750 teenagers four times a week you know, was not something that I relished particularly. Um, but I went back, and the school was a very different place, well, I, I think, when I went back in 2003. Um, they took bullying really seriously, and it seemed a much happier place, although there was still... Uh, instances as there are in any school of really unpleasant behavior that uh, really hurts people. But um, for me, it was a really positive experience to, to go back. And I think it was through that process. God has an extraordinary sense of humor, really, calling you to a place you really don't want to go. But then making that experience something that brings healing. And I think I really kind of came to terms with what I'd been through. And also people would come to me and say, look, I'm having a hard time. I feel I'm being bullied. Or, I would get teachers saying to me, I've got a real bully in my class, or I've got a bully in my house that a housemaster might say, will you speak to them? And actually God used the experience that was a bitter experience to bring uh, some healing and some relief. So I start with that just because it's kind of current for me because it's been in the newspapers, and it brings into very sharp focus this vital issue of forgiveness, forgiving others for the hurts we ourselves have received. Without forgiveness, we will have bitter and divisive relationships. And if we look around us, that is the world we see. That's our community in many ways. And we might be honest about our own lives and say, there's quite a lot of my own life where the relationships are bitter and divisive. And yet forgiveness Is absolutely essential. It is a non negotiable for the Christian. It's right at the heart of the Christian faith. It's right at the center of the Christian life. So I just want to share two, I think, crucial points on this topic of forgiveness tonight. And they are very basic, but I think they're right at the heart of what it means to believe the Christian faith and to live the Christian faith. So, two points. Forgiveness is Christian faith. And forgiveness is Christian life. So first of all, forgiveness is Christian faith. I just want to take us through the Bible, if I can, if we can find all the pages and all the references. Just, I mean, you know, I could have made this this bit of the sermon so long, we could be here till midnight. But I just want to, just, I I was reminded of how forgiveness, God's forgiveness for us is right at the heart of the Bible from the earliest moments. Okay, so we know Genesis chapter 3, I'm sure, you know, when humankind and Adam and Eve decided to reject God's word to rebel against him. From that moment, God has been longing for his people to come back to him. And um, we just get a glimpse of this in Genesis chapter 15. It's page 15. And um, God promises Abraham that he will have children, that there will be generations after him, that uh, there will be a nation formed from his own offspring. And we read in Genesis 15 verse 6 that Abraham, Abraham as he was known in these days, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So all Abraham did was believe the Lord's promise and he was made righteous. He was forgiven. For his sins. Being made righteous with God is, is, is the same as, as, as being forgiven, so that we are able to relate to God. So, God is a God who keeps his promises. Faith is credited as righteousness. Um, if we uh, move on, I think we're going to move a long way on now. Page 793, uh, Jeremiah 31. Um, and we read about a God who does not abandon us. So, 794, this is a great uh, prophecy. It's a prophecy from the time of the exile. Jeremiah 31 and verse 34. Jeremiah's prophesying a time when God will form a new covenant. First, let's say verse 33 and 4. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, "Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is a a prophecy of Jeremiah that uh, is a prophecy that God will not abandon his people. Jeremiah is speaking these prophecies through the darkest time. In Israel's history, it's just at the time of exile when Jerusalem is uh, destroyed and many Israelites go into captivity in Babylon. And God declares through his prophet Jeremiah that he will bring renewal. He will establish a new covenant. And that covenant will be founded on forgiveness. And then we can look through many of these prophets around the time of Jeremiah and we can look at their prophecies. You can look at the prophet Ezekiel. Again, Ezekiel quite similar to Jeremiah, lots of terrible um, condemnation. the prophet Ezekiel on the people of Israel for all the evil things that they've done, Uh, prophecy of the destruction that will come, but also prophecy of a new thing that God will do. There's that wonderful vision that Ezekiel has in Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, in the valley of the dry bones, where these dry, dead bones come back to life, a wonderful prophecy that God will bring life again. And then if we have a look in the New Testament, this is where we read about the fulfilling of those prophecies. We read about the new covenant being made in the person of Jesus. So just a few um, verses to draw to your attention. Turn to to Mark uh, chapter 2. And um, it's a well-known account from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the healing of the paralytic. And we read that uh, Jesus is confronted by this paralytic and then when he sees the faith of the paralytic's friends who've brought him to them, they made a hole in the roof, if you remember, they destroyed somebody's house and they lowered the man through the roof. And Jesus simply says to him, sons, your your sins are forgiven. It's a wonderful sign that in Jesus, this prophecy of a new covenant established And founded on forgiveness is becoming a reality. And then you can turn to John chapter 8. And you get another wonderful picture of this covenant of forgiveness in action. You have this incident of a woman caught in adultery being brought to Jesus. And Jesus says to those who accuse this woman, If any one of you is without sin, this is verse 7. Of John chapter 8, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Another wonderful example of the forgiveness that Jesus not only taught but exemplified in his life. And a a real illustration of the covenant of forgiveness that he was revealing and making known to us. And we see not only this exemplified in Jesus' life but also in his teaching. So um, if we turn to Matthew chapter 18 and um, there's a very, very powerful parable of the unmerciful Servant, in Matthew 18 and verse 21. And this is the way it's introduced. Peter, verse 21 of Matthew 18. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77. And then he tells This parable of the unmerciful servant. And if you go down to verse 32, we hear what happens to the unmerciful servant, a servant who isn't merciful and forgiving. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This, Jesus says is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's tough teaching. Forgiveness right at the heart of Jesus' teaching. And then you can go to Matthew chapter 5, some beautiful teaching in Matthew 5. It's page 970, uh, just a few pages back. This is such powerful teaching. Jesus says, verse 43, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is teaching about what it means to believe and to live out this new covenant of forgiveness. We can go to Luke chapter 23. And um, this is a very, very powerful account of Luke's, Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus says... To those who are nailing his hands to the cross. Verse 34, Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The depth of forgiveness. Forgiving in real time the people who are nailing his hands to a cross. And then if you go down to verse 42, 43, does that uh, penitent thief. Who's nailed next to him, who turns to him, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And then you've got Jesus' teaching at the Last Supper. Jesus having this Last Supper with his disciples before he dies. And he takes the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the cup of wine. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gets right to the heart of his purpose. He left heaven. He came to earth. He came to die for us on the cross so we might be forgiven. That prophecy of Jeremiah 31 fulfilled in the death of Jesus. And then we get another beautiful picture of what this covenant of forgiveness looks like in John 21. After Jesus rises from the dead, we'll remember that Peter disowned Jesus um, on the night of his trial when Jesus most needed support. Peter disowned him. And then we have this scene on the beach in Galilee where the resurrected Jesus comes alongside Peter. And he reinstates Peter, and three times he tells Peter to feed his lambs, gives them this amazing commission. Again, it's a beautiful picture of this new covenant in practice, this forgiveness in practice. So I've just got um, two essential questions that um, I want to ask you tonight. And uh, the first is this, do you know 100% that you will go to heaven? Do you know 100% that you will go to heaven? And some people find that question really difficult, isn't it? Arrogant to assume that you will. But the wonderful news of the gospel, the wonderful news of this new covenant of forgiveness is that we can be 100% sure. Second question, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, and we all will, by the way, how will we answer the question, why should I let you enter? The question that God will ask us, why should I let you enter into my kingdom? How will we answer it? I want to strongly suggest that there are only two words that we must utter. There are only two words that in fact are kind of the password. If you're like me and you get so frustrated because you lose your password all the time and they have to be different and then you have to change them every three months, there are only two words and these two words will never change. Jesus died. Those are the only two words that we need to know. That's the new covenant. Forgiveness is Christian faith. Forgiveness is Christian belief. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God wants to bring his people back from rebellion and destruction. And he does so by establishing this new covenant, this new agreement through the blood of Jesus. That we, if we put our trust in Jesus' death, can be forgiven for the things that we have done wrong. So that we can be sure that we will be with God in heaven. That we will enter when we face God's judgment seat. So that's my first point. Christian faith is forgiveness. Have we received that ourselves? Are we 100% sure that we will go to heaven? Are we 100% committed to all that Jesus has done through his death? The second thing is this, that forgiveness is Christian life. So forgiveness is Christian faith. That is right at the heart. It is the essence. It is the center of our faith, this new covenant in Jesus' blood, covenant of forgiveness. But forgiveness is Christian life. If we believe it, We also need to live it. R.T. Kendall, who's a great writer. I've been really enjoying reading some of his books lately. He's very challenging, but he's great. Um, He wrote this. Until you totally forgive, then you will be in chains. Until you totally forgive, then you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Forgiveness is a must. It is an absolute non-negotiable Matthew 18, verse 35, I read a few moments ago. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. You know, Jesus says we will be treated like the unmerciful servant. I mean, it's really difficult to read, imprisoned, tortured. Total forgiveness is the hardest thing. It goes against our... Human nature, because our human nature, we naturally want vengeance against those who hurt us. And yet, forgiveness requires us to kiss vengeance goodbye. Forgiveness is absolutely essential. If we cannot forgive, we cannot fully receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. If we cannot forgive, we cannot receive the power of his Holy Spirit. If we cannot forgive, Jesus says, we cannot enter his kingdom. It is absolutely fundamental. It is essential. Now, if we think back and reflect on our lives, there will be those of us here who have endured terrible hurt during our lives. Some of us will have been abused, possibly even raped. Some people will have been unfaithful to spouses. Some of us will have endured being lied about time and time again, having our reputations destroyed. And the message of Jesus is we must forgive those who have hurt us. There are no exceptions. No abuse is so grave and so dreadful that we cannot forgive. And it sounds like a very hard message but I want to remind you of R.T. Kendall's words, until you totally forgive, then you will be in chains. And however deep the hurt we feel as a result of somebody's unpleasant behavior, we must forgive if we are not to be in chains. So how do we forgive? I've just got um, three steps that I found helpful in my life. And the first is to give the bitterness and the hurt over to God. We have to lay the bitterness we feel towards the other, the hurt that we've received at the foot of the cross. And therefore, and this is something I really struggle with, it really helps not to speak about it. It really helps not to gossip about it. When we speak about the hurt that we have received from someone else, when we pass it on to others, when we gossip about it, it's probably a sign that we have not fully forgiven that person. So I think practically speaking, we need to hand it over to God. And when we hand over to God the hurt that we feel, then I think we are able to let go of it and we're able to stop it dominating us by constantly speaking about it and gossiping about it. In fact, we could go a step further if we want to be sure that we are forgiving of those who've hurt us. Maybe we could go a step further and protect the reputation of those who've hurt us, of those who have dark secrets. I suppose one of the problems I have with the Me Too movement, and I don't want to say anything controversial or unwise, is that, of course, when something illegal has happened it is crucial that people go to the authorities and that the police investigate and the natural course of justice takes place. But actually, I don't think it's helpful to publicly tarnish reputations without that due process. And we do seem to be in a world, don't we, where that's happening. And of course, social media has enabled that to happen, perhaps in a way that wasn't possible before. And I think it creates even more bitterness. I mean, there is so much hurt in the world, and I would never want to in any way criticize those who are responding to the hurt that they feel. But I do think there is a danger in speaking constantly about the hurt we've received. Of course, when there are illegalities, they need to be brought to light, and they need to be dealt by due judicial process. But actually, we seem to be in a world where reputations are tarnished very, very easily. Uh, and sometimes for you know all sorts of things that aren't necessarily illegal. And just that cycle of bitterness, therefore, builds. So give our bitterness over to God. Um, secondly, persevere in love towards those we find most difficult. Never give up on people, especially those who've hurt us. Forgiveness is a life sentence, somebody once said. And it's something that we perhaps need to do day by day, is come and forgive uh, the person who's hurt us. I've had a difficult experience recently. We own a little cottage in the country. Um, We we spoke to our neighbor, who's actually some way away, funnily enough, about just putting a very small extension in our roof, Uh, converting the attic space and building over a bit of flat roof. And um, he said, fine. And then suddenly, he said it wasn't fine, but it was kind of in the planning by then. And he orchestrated a campaign against us to kind of get it thrown out got lots of people against us but anyhow it didn't break any planning law so it went through and he said i'm never going to speak to you again and I, it was so hard you know and he was obviously so hurt I, we, we couldn't understand why it was such a small thing couldn't see it from his house or anything so um anyhow i just prayed and prayed and prayed and after three months i knocked on his door Uh, to say hello and to pass some news on to him, and he looked absolutely furious. But within a minute or two, he started to soften, and then we started to talk. And then he said, I want to say sorry for being so difficult, um, because there wasn't really any reason for it. Um, And I'd found it really difficult to persevere with that person, because he had said some really difficult things out of nowhere for didn't seem any apparent reason. But I prayed. I actually prayed every time I walked past his house. Every time I thought about him, I prayed, Lord, I pray that his heart will change. And uh, and I think it has. So I'd really encourage you to persevere in love. And then finally, pray for them. Jesus asked us to pray for our enemies, to bless them, to pray for their transformation. And it's amazing the power of prayer and how we can see People's hearts change when uh, we pray for them. And so I'd really encourage you as we seek as Christians to live a life of forgiveness. To give our bitterness and our hurt over to God. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Otherwise it will consume us. I think that's the only way of letting go of it. It's the only way of truly forgiving someone. Persevere in love. Love our enemies. And persevere in prayer. I don't know how long I've been going on for. Am I am I over? Am I am I done? You know, have I got five minutes? Have I got two minutes? Thirty seconds? Do what I need to do. Brilliant. I'm just going to end with a story, if I can, because I just think, um, you know, there's nothing new that most of you will have learned today. But the Christian faith is forgiveness. The Christian life. His forgiveness, and I, I don't believe we can truly live a life of forgiveness if we haven't received it first from God. The Bible is all about uh, how God has found a new way into relationship with us through this new covenant, which Jesus fulfills in His blood. And Jesus calls us and teaches us throughout that we must reflect and live this life of forgiveness. I just want to end with this story, and. It's an amazing story. It's reported as true. I'm not sure if it is. Somebody told me it wasn't true. And I I looked on the internet and I couldn't find lots of historical evidence for it. Whether it's true or not, it's a really powerful story. And I know that there are other accounts in the world that reflect this kind of attitude. It's a story about a Christian woman. Um, This is in the 1990s, um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. This woman... Had um, her son, her only son and her husband killed um, by two white police officers back in the 1980s and when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came about um, these two police officers went on trial and um, as was uh, the case uh, at that time the judge would say to the person offended um, what justice would you like? What would you like to happen to these two police officers, white police officers? They were found guilty of killing her son, coming back and taking her husband and killing him as well. And she said, um, very movingly, she said three things. I'd like three things. She said, um, first of all, she said, I would like the police officer, the lead police officer was called Mr. Van I'd like him to take me to the place where he burnt my husband's body. They tied her husband to some wood and they they burnt him. I'd like to try and gather up any ashes that are still there so that I can give his remains um, a burial, a decent burial. She paused and then she continued. She said, secondly, she said, my husband and son were my only family. I have no family now. So she said, I would like... Mr. Vanderbroek and, and his colleague, I'd like them to become my children. I'd like to adopt them. And she said, I'd love them to come to my house maybe once or twice a month for lunch on a Sunday. And finally she said, I want a third thing. She said, and she said, this is the wish of my husband too. I would like somebody to take me over the other side of the courtroom because I'm very frail and I would like to hug these two police officers. She said, because I want them to know that despite all that they've done, that God forgives them. And so that's what happened. She went over, and it's reported that um, in the gallery were friends and some People from this lady's community, and um, it's reported that they, at this point, began to sing the hymn Amazing Grace. So I just um, leave you with that. I don't know if it's a true story, but I've read it in a number of places, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. And even if it isn't a true story, I know that there are Christians who have managed to forgive, like that lady. And it has the most incredible impact on, on life. And it reflects the Father's heart for each of us. Amen.